Hello and welcome to season two, episode 11 of Duelist Community. I will be playing the part of Andrew today. And I will continue playing the part of Ray. Today we are joined by Ariel, a TikTok creator. She also hosts the Do You Have Space podcast. I was uh, lucky enough to catch the first episode there this weekend, which was fantastic. Uh, on TikTok, she's known as Ariel Here and Now, and her content on there is very much in the scope of mental health, finding your peace within, looking for the beauty, being able to change your perspective, and find alignment with your life. Her recommendations are, are very applicable and, and easy to take in. And her insights that she shares always make you feel that you can relate to her path. And so without any further ado, I'd like her to introduce herself, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you came to share this path with everybody that you did. Yeah, thank you so much for such a lovely introduction. Um, these are always fun to sort of uh, see the reflection back of, of everything that you're creating. I'm sure you both have experienced that as well. So um, thanks for reflecting all of that back. It's lovely to be here with other people that I uh, share this space with and just care about exploring consciousness and awareness. And um, that, that path of inner healing journey is a big, a big part of it for me as well. So yeah, grateful to be here with you. Grateful for the introduction. Um, yeah, you already gave some of it away, but my name is Ariel June. Um, I am a meditation teacher and an inner work guide. So I just really love working with people and just really passionate about helping people um, on their own inner healing journeys. And that can be a really abstract, where do I even start sort of experience? I'm sure you both have had uh, in, in earlier in your journeys, that own experience, like, okay, I'm starting to become aware of everything of everything, <laughs> but where do I jump in? Like, how do I actually, how do I actually get started? If I want to become more aware, if I want to heal from the things that are keeping me from really seeing uh, life, the world, myself, everyone as they really are. And so um, I really love getting to be a part of people's journeys um, of, of discovering the different processes and modalities and other voices that are really helpful um, to sort of uh, unburdening themselves on that, on that path. So, um, that's a little bit about me. Um, I feel like I could dive in a little bit to how I got here and more of my story, but that might open up a whole wormhole. So I am, yeah. Where, where would y'all like to dive in next? What I, what I've noticed from your content is that, um, it's very universal. And one of the things that resonated with me is that it's a lot like the content that we try to create in that you're not ever really, ref uh, pointing people to a particular structure or a particular belief system. It's like you've distilled those insights down to something that you feel anybody can use. And I'm curious as to how you came to that point. Did you go through a particular spiritual journey or pathway yourself before you took it upon yourself to distill those insights down and make them your own? Or was that something that just started from the beginning? Yeah, great question. Man, I love this. These are my favorite kinds of conversations to have. So thank you for teeing up such a lovely question for hosting these conversations. Um, yeah, I definitely had, I grew up in a very specific spiritual tradition, um, which I feel like uh, I've, I've heard you both speak to your own experiences as well around, around some of this. So um, I'm sure there'll be lots of overlap, lots to talk about. I grew up in um, a pretty conservative evangelical Christian uh, community and family. Um, both of my parents are actively pastors in that tradition. And um, really, I, I, I both am very grateful for the upbringing. And it also um, gave me a lot that I had to unburden myself from as well. So that was really the start of my own spiritual journey. Um, 
grew up with a lot of really uh, spiritual experiences through that lineage um, that I still feel really grateful for and feel a, a sort of connection to. Um, I didn't always, that took some healing and circling back to, to see that too. But um, yeah, over time, um, started to feel more disconnected from myself um, in that tradition and was uh, really taught an emphasis of valuing the voices of leadership and authority figures over my own inner knowing um, or, or other worldviews. And so um, really saw that the path within that community to acceptance, to belonging was was valuing other voices over my own. I gave that a really solid shot for a really long time, um, probably a little bit longer than, than was really good for me. Um, you know, you start to hear that sort of like small thread of connection that you still have to something else, to something beyond a limited scope. And um, I'm really grateful that I, I held on to that small thread of connection um, to myself and to everything else. And man, over time, uh, slowly started to shed pieces of that and slowly um, started, you know, consuming other worldviews and, and trying to see things from other people's perspectives. I'm really grateful. I went to this really beautiful, tiny, um, like arts high school, and they literally like a part of their curriculum taught you how to have empathy and how to see things from other worldviews. And I don't think that I would honestly be where I am today without that. Like someone saying like, how do you see the world? Okay. That was taught to you. Let's look at the world from other views and like being able to take off lenses and apply different lenses was something that I learned in high school. And it took me a while to like, um, not fight that with like, but I have to stay in this worldview. Um, and so really grateful for that education around empathy and, and respecting and, and choosing to see the world from other perspectives. Um, and then, yeah, little by little started studying beyond that, um, tradition of Christianity. And man, I could, I could hit the highlights of, of what really did it for me, but there were some specific pieces along the way where I was like, man, um, I think honestly, I'll just tell you the one biggest, biggest, like sort of shift, like in, in my process of deconstruction, um, was man, the way that I grew up raising evangelical Christianity, the, the message at the core was always that God was love. Like, and that was it. And then there were all of these other rules and ways that we should treat certain people that didn't feel loving. And I had this moment, and I don't mean to say that about everyone. I think even my parents who are still pastors and I have some family that are still very religious and I see them love people so well, but I just saw throughout this tradition, so many um, pervasive examples of, of people not loving um, or, or loving with condition, which is specifically not the kind of love that I was told God was about. And so started comparing those experiences and eventually was like, oh my gosh, if God is love, but the rules that people are putting around that cause me to be not loving, then that cannot possibly be a, an accurate reflection of the God of love. Uh, and that just like shattered something in me in a really beautiful, like helpful way. So there's a lot of other, I'm sure in, in both of your own experiences as well, like there's so many little dots on the map that kind of help you see things in a new way, but that was a really big one for me. Um, and what a relief to, I remember, I remember going out that day and like, the way no one could have told, like they couldn't have seen the difference in the way that I was treating them, but the way that I felt that had shifted the way that I interacted with other people was like, oh my gosh, it was like the veil had been lifted in a way. 
um, or scales have fallen off my eyes. Um, if you get that joke, 10 point extra points to you. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So anyway, long, long story short, uh, through slowly peeling back the different layers of, of that belief system. Um, eventually I think this is a very common path, got really into yoga, got really fascinated by yogic philosophy um, started to catch glimpses into these moments of awareness that were not tied um, to necessarily my physical experience or something beyond that. Um, yogic philosophy and the people that I studied that with led me into neuroscience and like psychedelic therapies. Um, and that all led into me studying Tibetan Buddhism um, and a lot of other things. So it just opened, it's just like, you know, you open one door and then there's like 10 more doors and you're like, oh, where do I go in here? Um, so yeah, that's been kind of a process of like my spiritual upbringing, slowly like pulling brick by brick one one piece off of um, after the other off, and then sort of reconstructing by like pulling from these these different lenses, and um, that's kind of where I'm at now. I mean, there's I'm so excited because there's just like as long as I live, it'll just be more study and more more doors and and more things to read and listen and observe and shift. But um, that's kind of where I'm at now is really. Um, having a deep appreciation for the inner healing work and for, again, just like wanting myself to be as unburdened by all those things as I can and wanting that for other people. And, um, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at here now. I did not mean to do make a pun related to my handle, but I did. <laughs> it's all, it's all there is right now. I, I resonate <laughs> with that all a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I love hearing stories about people, you know, and a lot of, for so long in my life that was viewed as in such a negative light, like leaving a belief system was like, right. I, liter I literally equated growing up because I was raised Catholic. And it was like, if you're atheist, you were, you were a bad person. It was like, you right. were very much boxed up or anyone who wasn't Catholic, quite frankly, it was even the, yeah. even my friends who were like Protestant, like I went to a very conservative Catholic uh, middle school. And mm -hmm. when we would go up for communion, it was like, you know, the kids who weren't Catholic would have to go up like this and like, they couldn't receive it. And it was like, it wasn't Oof. outright, but it was kind of like, Oh, they're not, they're not like us, but yeah. yeah, for, for me. And I'm curious about your initial sort of, uh, leaving of, of the belief system. Cause for me, it was just and it sounds like similar to yours. I just started asking questions and I have always been a curious person much more now. I was kind of like exponentially grown since especially yeah. getting out of a belief system, but there were just so many things that weren't making sense. So, you know, maybe six or seven years ago, I was like, you know, 50% Catholic where it's like, yeah, I'm still <laughs> nominally Catholic. Cause I'm afraid of like, I don't want to burn in hell and I want to go to heaven and all that stuff. But like so much of it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I was just picking different <laughs> things apart. And it seems like, you know, those sorts of things, they don't promote this beingness of, of existence and, and questioning, and they don't really promote questioning. And people now will ask me like, oh, well, how do you know you're right? And it's like, I don't know that I'm right, but I just ask <laughs> so many questions and you're able to sort of pick apart all of these things. And I know that I'm not right in many ways, but it's not that I think I'm right. And you think you're not right, or you're not sure. It's like, you're the one saying that you're right. And you know, and I'm the one saying that maybe you don't. And also I don't, and that's okay. Like, it's okay right. to settle into 
the uncertainty of this moment and the uncertainty of the future. So was that a big piece of it? Was you just started, it seems like things just weren't really making much sense. And especially with the, you know, God is unconditional love, but you know, these people, we don't like them and, and we don't like them. So it's like, how unconditional is that really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I also thought what you just called out there around this, the notion of right or wrong. And it's like, when people are like, oh, well, how do you know you're right? And you're like, so I've stepped out of that framework and now we're just floating. And, and the, if you can sit with the discomfort and the uncertainty long enough, you realize it's not that bad. <laughs> and like, if, uh, if I can look back at history and see like, damn, there were a lot of things we got really, really wrong. Then couldn't I soften to the fact that like, maybe we're getting things wrong now and just like, let that be. Um, and so I, I it's, it's kind of adjacent to the question you asked, but that notion of like letting go of, of this stark right or wrong was, it was a big part of that. And yeah, and definitely a lot of curiosity um, and curiosity in the, in the environment that I grew up in, um, especially like the church community was not rewarded. Like you were rewarded for just believing and like blind faith and, and trust and all of those things. And so like the more I was curious and like, let that part of myself out, the more that was like, I felt like I didn't really belong or like I was an annoyance or something, um, which is like, ironically not helpful. Like if they wanted to keep me around, like there would have been some more engagement around that. I think <laughs> not that I want them to learn how to keep people around if they want to leave, but that, that would be beneficial to them for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely questioning a lot of, a lot of different pieces um, was a big part, a big part of it, questioning different beliefs, um, really looking at them a little bit closer. Um, and yeah, I already said this, but most importantly, just letting go of that framework of, of right or wrong and being willing to acknowledge if we've got it wrong before, and we see clearly in history so many times that we have messed it up so badly, um, especially when it comes to how we treat other people, which was my biggest qualm with, um, with what I was seeing. Um, then why, why would we just assume that we have it figured out now? And couldn't we create a little bit of space to acknowledge that we've, that we've been wrong before, so we'll probably be wrong again and allow that to just be. So, um, yeah, that was definitely a, a big factor in that, in that deconstruction process. I like how you put that, you know, can, can we just have some space? Can we hold some space just to have this conversation? So we're not so insecure yeah. that the idea of doing something wrong sends us screaming in the other direction. So we can't have this conversation. Let's just, let's just have a little moment, right? Let's just talk to yeah. one another without reacting immediately. And maybe we'll come up with an insight. And it's something uh, my wife often talks about because she's in counseling. And so mm. holding space is something that, that she, um, she often refers to yeah. because she works with indigenous tribes here on the island. And so that's something mm. that's part of their culture is keeping space for one another, right? Mm. And that's it. It's just getting out of that reactionary mindset where it's like, right. oh, I feel invalidated. No, like that's okay you can feel invalidated that's how you grow right you can feel like you maybe didn't do things properly or you didn't do things to the best of your ability because that's how you grow but it's also important to recognize that you couldn't get to that insight without those mistakes right 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 so absolutely kind of sword. yeah and it's so interesting at least within um, Ray, remind me, do you have a background within Christianity? I've heard you speak about your, your views of Christianity, but is that, is that your background as well? I was born and raised Roman Catholic, extremely Roman okay. Catholic. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I know deconstruction has probably been a big part of your process then too, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting though, when you come from a framework that is so um, like, is just white knuckling certainty. And in some ways, I don't know if you both feel this way. I, I feel a lot of compassion toward that. Like certainty is such, provides so much comfort uh, to the human experience that is full of uncertainty. And in some ways I can even see when I'm looking back at the tradition and like where it's come from, the, the, the beauty and in some ways at the time, the freedom that it must have given and the sense of safety and the sense of community, the sense of belonging. Like I can see that in the, in the span of history and, and have in a way gratitude for what it provided to people. Uh, there's also a lot of things within the history that I don't have a lot of gratitude for, but I can see why people cling to it, right? But it's, I, I also feel that there is a, a, a needed uh, evolution of our emotional intelligence to recognize like, okay, if we look at some of these um, behavior patterns within the church in terms of how we treat what we think is wrong, how we treat people who we think are wrong, um, how we treat ourselves when we think we're wrong, um, or how we treat ourselves to make sure we don't do something wrong. Um, those behavior patterns, like on a psychological level, I'm sure that you've probably had conversations with your wife about this, if she's in, in this space, like those responses, or as you said, those quick reactions only internalize that behavior and, and, and cause it to persist more. So even on a psychological level, I'm like, this is not an effective strategy. It is an effective strategy for keeping people in a system. And that makes me really uh, uncomfortable if, if we wanted to go there, but um, it doesn't, it's not actually a system that helps people get free, right? It's like a system that, that ensures, and I don't think that was the intent I don't know, but I don't think that was the intent to begin with. It was like, here's something that we can try. And then now over years, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, it turns out shaming someone for doing something wrong or for sinning um, only reinforces that behavior and, and, and really uh, exiles that part of themselves instead of integrating that part of themselves. So we got to rethink this. It's, I find it to be very funny how the uncertainty, like that is, that is the reality of our existence is uncertainty. And so when people feel like they are certain, it's always a false sense of certainty. So the same thing, right. although it seems in the short term to like soothe their fears, it also causes it because they're so easily shaken. And I've made you know, yeah. a decent amount. I've got, quite frankly, I've kind of toned them down a little bit, kept it to the, <laughs> to the podcast, but my video is questioning belief. You know, a lot of times mm. it's because my background's in Christianity and Catholicism. It's it's yeah. focused on that. It's it's sort of what I what I knew, but I, I would get a ton of backlash for it. And although I think it's very important to question things, I, I had to weigh, you know, the pros and cons of, of all of that. And it, it was fascinating how much pushback there was. And it just it's like that shows how this is not a solution. This false sense of certainty is not a solution to your fear mm -hmm. because all someone has to do is give a logical argument as to why it's not true. And all of a sudden you're going on a tirade about how it is yeah. true because it is so closely held. And I found that the things you question that are closer to someone's identity, their sense of self, who they think they are, how they define themselves, the more shaken they're going to get, the more hostile they're going to get in response. So it's like, that's so much of what we talk about is, is the illusion of identity and the freedom mm. that comes with it. While at first it may be, you know, a lot of discomfort in that right. long-term, there is a lot of benefit because the reality is that everything is uncertain. So when you cling to a false sense of certainty, it only sets you up to go down this 
tirade when it's when it's questioned but yeah, yeah. We, we discussed that quite a bit too yeah I love that I was going to say I, I enjoyed what you were saying about how the church actually served a purpose at one point in providing a certain degree of certainty and I know as a parent that up into a certain point of development you do give your children false certainty in order to protect them from their fear right right and so that's great to a point, but then your child continues to develop. And if you get addicted to being who they turn to for that soothing, you don't help them develop anymore, right? And so um, yeah. I made a video a little while back called Discover Transcendence. And I was talking about how the church came about at a time when there was a lot to fear, you know, highway bandits and no real laws and there was no real uh, certainty right. whatsoever. But then it, they grasp to that certainty so much that somebody like Galileo comes around and goes, we're revolving around the sun. It's not revolving around us. And they lock him up for life. And it's just because they're threatened by how that diminishes yeah. the identity that went with mm. their false certainty. So it's such an yeah. interesting process, a lot like parenting. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I, I've been I've been doing a little bit of digging into that notion around parenting and, and the specifically what you're talking about, even around this idea of self-soothing and and needing to teach children how to do that so that they don't continue to learn to put that that what's going to sue them outside of themselves or in certainty or in something else it's like how can I find that within myself is, is so crucial to our development I think you're absolutely right um but I'm curious uh <laughs> I hope it's okay I'm gonna flip a question on you both I'm curious for for each of you in your own experience or even just like now what you think is uh I don't know, a help, helpful methods for detaching from certainty. I have my own answers to that question and what I know has really helped me shift, but I'm curious um, for your own paths, like what, what helped you let go of that? What helped you see like, oh, I can let go of the edge of the pool and like stay afloat and, and not just need to grip onto that um, to, to survive, right? Like my survival isn't dependent on that after all. So I'm curious to hear about that for both of you. I can, I can start. I think, um, I think recognizing the uncertainty at first is hugely important, like actually realizing that it is the case, like there isn't anything that is certain beyond right yeah. now. And that's okay. Like becoming okay and sort of accepting the reality of uncertainty. And then I think a big part of it for me has just been repetition and, and taking action no matter how. I feel like I, my sort of definition of confidence, like a lot of people say that confidence is like a, a feeling and I think of it more of an action. So in terms mm -hmm. of when it relates to, it's kind of related to uncertainty in a way, but it's like realizing that it, you're not always going to feel like doing something or feel super internally prepared for something, but it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what you do despite how mm. you feel. So confidence is about right. how you, it isn't about how you feel. It's about the actions that you take despite how you feel. So for me, it's just been like yeah. that recognition that things are uncertain and sort of relaxing into that. Because if you don't really accept that, I think it's very much more difficult to relax into that idea. And then and then it's just recognizing it and reminding yourself, I don't know. Like that's a phrase I use all the mm. time. It's just like, I don't know this, this thing I'm worried about happening or this thing I'm hoping will happen. I don't know if this thing does happen or this terrible thing that just happened right now in the moment, I'm labeling it as this terrible thing. I just said it was terrible. I don't know if it's going to be actually lead to something that's terrible realistically right. because, because of uncertainty, all of these things that I'm so sure of 
are bad or good in the moment, the reality is that I don't know because I don't know what they're going to lead to. And I don't know what that thing's yeah. going to lead to. And I don't know what that thing's going to lead to. So recognizing right. that has helped a ton. So that, and that ties into good and bad, right and wrong. It's like, because we can't predict the future because of the fact that we can't see and experience anything beyond right now, we have no idea what is good or bad. We can have senses of, of you know, we, we take action in the moment relative to, you know, how unified we feel typically, but yeah, the reality is that you don't know and wasting time and energy judging it and allowing yourself to relax into that uncertainty helps a ton with any situation yeah. that comes up. Yeah. So I'll set places that, um, in terms of a, a methodology, I always just try to, I talk about potential a lot in, in terms of, um, kind of like electricity until you point that electricity in a direction it's just potential energy it can do anything mm. um, and a lot of our, our narrative a lot of our identity a lot of our, our false certainty limits that potential um, in an effort to stay safe which makes sense to a certain degree I mean if you're right. not used to being a nuclear reactor you're going to want to tone that down right and, and so um, for me my path well my life basically just from the start said certainty is not in, in the cards for you. Um, I, <laughs> I, I got abandoned as, as a, a very young kid and then I got mm. passed around quite a bit. And so for me, certainty was never something that I could find externally. Mm. There was never a home. There was never a loved one. There was never uh, that support structure to reach for. There was never any uh, certainty that I would be in the same place a month from now that I was then. And so mm. for me, I, I only had one uh, strategy for certainty, which was my identity, was the idea of myself. And so mm. I clung to that. And, and over the years, as a teenager, I went through various iterations of that self, each one creating a totally different consequence for me. Um, <laughs> and, and then, okay, well, I got to modify that a bit, let that one go, let's try this. And then so I went through that over and over and over again, trying desperately to find a way to feel like I belonged in the world that was reminding me every day, it didn't want me. And every day I was coming across the same hellish nightmare of constantly being unhappy and constantly seeing my friendships burn and fall away and constantly seeing my relationships turn to toxicity. And so the lesson was just over and over and over and over again. This is your control. This is what you're getting. This is what your identity is, is creating for you. And, and so after beating my head against that wall for years, almost killing me, I finally went, Oh God, I'm still doing it. And that was it. It just yeah. dawned on me that I had been carrying this strategy with me moment to moment to moment. And it wow. was causing all my pain. And so that was it. It was just like, okay, I finally, I got it. I got it. I'm good. Stop hitting me <laughs> over the face with that. And that's when it got easier. Mm -hmm. Wow, man. Thank you for sharing some of your, your story. I didn't, I didn't uh, know all of that about your experience. Um, what, a, what a lesson to learn. Man, and and to like you said, like after a while, you're like, I get it. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to step outside of that way of being. It's not fun anymore. I don't want to get hit over the head again with that. Um, wow, yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Um, it's very freeing, right? Like that's it. Is you spend so long trying to get free that finally, when you are free, you're like, this has been here the whole time. It's been yeah, available the I whole time. Yeah, that's so interesting too that you mentioned the piece about freedom. It goes back to something to Andrew that you were saying too around like there's is this ultimate freedom that comes from knowing that there is no certainty, that there is no black and white, right and wrong. And um, 
what's the word that they use for it? Maybe, maybe either of you can remind me in existential philosophy. What is it called? Something freedom, ultimate freedom. They talk about how terrifying it is, right? Like once you realize like there's this moment, you know, you get to the part where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm free and this is all available to me. But before that moment, I don't know if either of you experienced this, yes. there's a moment where you're like, oh my God, it's all up to me. And then there's like this, oh, like a, 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 the weight of the freedom of that can be so terrifying when it's new, when it's unfamiliar. Um, and I like what you're saying too, Andrew, about just practicing, just practicing really like, I don't know. And I'm okay. That's okay. Like just that, that like creating that neural pathway of like uncertainty does not have to trigger a fear response. Uncertainty is something that I can sit with and that I, I can prove to myself over and over again that it is okay. Um, one thing my partner says all the time is mood follows action, which also goes back to what you were saying, this notion of like, I'm not always going to feel like doing something or uh, as he often says, what is it? Um, I'm going to most feel like working out at the end of my workout. Sometimes you just have to like trust the process and say like, I, I believe this, like I know that it will be okay. Um, well, I know that it'll be okay. I don't know that it will be okay. And that's okay too, you know? Yeah. Um, but just trusting that, like putting that in motion is um, the only way forward. It's an interesting yeah. point that you made about it being at that stage of it being terrifying. Uh, a couple of weeks back, we had yeah. another guest on here uh, and her point is often that this insight about lack of identity, about lack of control, is terrifying. And I know from my own path yeah. that um, for a long time, I wrestled with the, uh, the insight of, of isolation. I wrestled with the idea or rather with the, with the recognition that unity, it's just me, always will be. And that scared and depressed and frightened me. And it was because mm. I was still identifying. I was still filtering that through my idea of myself, because without any of that, it's not terrifying, right? It's, it's kind of like the difference between anxiety and excitement. It's just energy until you decide which way it's gonna go. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I found that to be a, a big part of the, the, the start of the journey was just recognizing that every time I felt that trepidation, every time I felt that resistance or that fear, it wasn't because of what I was letting go of, it was because of what I was still holding on to. Mm. Oh man. Yeah, that's so real. I, uh, I've, I've found that since, since I sort of recognized that, you know, this idea of Andrew is just a story sort of rooted in the past. Like I am here and now this kind of really recognized that last summer. And ever since then there have been like so many ups and downs as Ray can attest to like, <laughs> it's, it's been a, it's been a turbulent ride for sure. But I found yeah. that when I would, because I've sort of continued to recognize that and get caught up in identity certainly and, and forgetting here and there. But I think when, it, when I feel like, oh my gosh, it's all on me. It's just quickly recognizing like there is no me and, and by getting mm. terrified and, and jarred by this realization, like, oh, it's just me. It's like, when you feel that with a sense of, of loneliness and, and fear, it's like, that's you continuing to try and cling to that identity that you have yeah. been able to cling to your whole life. So, so since then I've sort of shed all of the things that I used to do to make me feel better. It was a lot of identity based practices and, and thoughts about myself and, and things I was grateful for about that had to do with Andrew that I sort of recognized that idea of Andrew is the root of, of all of my fear and worry. So although there are two sides of it and you can kind of get built up 
by your ego and, and help you feel, it can help you feel good in a lot of ways. And people pat you on the back and tell you, you did a great job. But since more clearly recognizing that it's also the root of every single thing I've ever been afraid of or worried about or been nervous about, mm-hmm. it, it's so much easier to let all of that other stuff go and sort of relax into that understanding that, oh, there is, there is no me. So, so when someone asks, like someone asked me on a podcast once, like, when did you know you were, you were different? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's kind of an uncomfortable question. Cause it's like, <laughs> you know, what I was just explaining to him the last, you know, 20 minutes is like, <laughs> I, this idea of Andrew is a, is a fiction. So to, to then cling to something like, oh, but I'm different is like, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of uh hypocritical in a way to, to then go back to that. So it's like, you're only utilizing it for the, for the good feeling stuff. But once you recognize that it's the same sword, that double-edged sword or two sides of the same coin, you're more easily able to let that other stuff go and, and you can allow it to be, and, and sort of like move with things. So you're not just kind of a, an ass t- telling people that like, <laughs> I don't exist all the time, but yeah, the, the recognition has been helpful for sure especially when I get caught up in in that feeling like oh it's it's just me forever yeah yeah Yeah. I'm curious to hear what you would say your relationship is like to your own ego and to any like self-constructed notions of identity because I I am very much of the belief that uh, exiling any parts of ourselves real imagined created whatever is like not not beneficial to our own unburdening in this human existence so I'm curious to hear what your relationship is like now that you've discovered that like how you engage with your ego or how you think about your ego um I have another question but I'll that's big enough I'll pause I'll pause there for now yeah I think I think it comes back to the recognition that like it's there you can't not you can't escape your ego you can't kill your ego but it's not what you are. So, so it's recognizing that it's, that it's there, that it's, it's your key to this experience. We've talked about Ray and I've talked about this a little bit. Like it's your ego is your ticket to experience without your ego, there'd be no Mm. experience. So it's recognizing that it's incredibly important and it's a huge part of you're not just going to overnight be like, Oh, my ego's dead. I don't exist. And it's like, we actually recently, one of our you might find it interesting, the conversation, actually. Uh, I think it was uh, a couple episodes ago um, okay, yeah. on our last guest. But it's if if you get too caught up, you can get too caught up in the idea that you don't exist. And right. that was basically that entire conversation. And it comes Ooh, back to recognizing that that is just another belief. And that is just another <laughs> sort of egoic belief in a way. So for me, it's just recognizing that it's not the truth. Like I, I I used to think that like Andrew was who I was and and that is it. Now I recognize that yes, it's, it's still necessary for me to have this experience. Absolutely. But there isn't this like, end all be all super serious attachment to it. It, It's more Mm. like you know, whether you take everything in the world to be extremely serious and like super bleak and like dark and everything, or everything's not that serious. And it's, it's a, it's an experience and the point of life is to live sort of, sort of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love the way that you described that. That was actually a question I came into having heard some of your previous conversations around like not identifying with the self. I've, I've had this question that's been percolating around, um, which I think you just answered for me around like, okay, so the self doesn't exist. I'm still a human having a human experience. So like, how do I enjoy that experience? Um, and even be present to the shit I don't enjoy. Like, how do you navigate still being like, okay, so we don't exist, but I'm still here. Like I'm still having this experience. So I feel like, um, yeah, that was great. I'm very curious to go back and listen to that podcast, uh, the episode that you were mentioning, but, um, I think that's so important. Uh, and it's in a way we're always with ourselves and with that constructed self. And so it's a great, like consistent, like nonstop practice of holding onto something lightly, which is, is the practice of letting go of certainty of just saying like, okay, this might be something that I believe to be true right now. But like, even that I, I have to hold with like open hands, even my sense of self, even my sense of expression, this, um, what I believe about the world, like all of that will be shifting and changing. And so, um, that notion that you're talking about, about engaging with and, and relating to the ego very lightly, like I have this phrase, I say to myself, like, of course, <laughs> like, of course you think that, or like, of course that upset you, or of course, like whatever kind of acknowledging, but with some lightness and with some, some general, like levity, like, okay. Yep. Of course. <laughs> um, and so I love, I love hearing some of that reflected in what you were just saying too. And that really, that really resonates with me. We are in conversation the other day. And I think we put it something along the lines of you're always what you are and never what you think you are. <laughs> so you, you always are. And, and I think that that's the point. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah. When I was a kid, you guys probably remember doing this too, um, playing make-believe, pretending with your friends, uh, coming up with scenarios. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we used to all go into this patch of bush just outside of town and we'd, we'd be like pirates setting up this pirate like hideout and, and booby traps and all that. And every once in a while we'd be, you know, werewolves and, and other stupid stuff. But the point is, is that whatever I was embodying myself to be changed the nature of the game for me. It changed the environment I was, I was participating in. It changed my actions and changed everything I right. perceived because I identified as what I was pretending to be. And nothing's changed. Nothing has changed except that maybe my <laughs> idea of myself has become way more boring over time, right? I'm no longer <laughs> running around pretending to be a werewolf, but I'm still pretending to be something, right? right? And right. I think that that's, that is now my relationship with my ego is that it's a, it's a lens that changes the experience I'm having. It's a lens mm. that, that can blind me if I get too caught up in it, or it can just color my experience in, in a pleasant or unpleasant way, depending on how seriously I take it. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Beautifully articulated. I love that. Oh, we do have so much power to, to change that lens. Um, and to, yeah, to allow our view of the world and of ourselves to be shifted and I feel, I don't know if you two have run into this, but I feel like that's, um, as a conversation, not everyone is ready to have, like, I don't know if you've received, I know, Andrew, you're mentioning some pushback on the different videos you've shared. Um, I don't know, it's really, it's really tricky in the world to talk about that, right? Because I, I'm sure that you both would agree, like acknowledging that we have the power to change how we view our situations and view the world. Um, I think can feel to a lot of people very um, like bypassing or like uh, not acknowledging the suffering that takes place in the world. And that I have found to be 
somewhat tricky to navigate, right? Because it's not to negate anyone's experience. There is undeniable suffering in the world. There is undeniable pain that that is unavoidable. Um, if we could all get together and <laughs> let go of some things, there'd probably be a lot less. But um, I guess that's why we're all here to some extent. It's a good having point. this conversation. It's but, something I've run across for sure. And, and I've been yeah. at this for, for 20 years. I, I was trying to have this conversation with people after 9-11 which didn't go well. Um, I can imagine. Wow. You know, yeah. It, it's interesting. If you were to think of it as, uh, you know, say you have a, a pit with a bunch of water in it and somebody is stuck in the pit. Well, help me out. So somebody else tries to help them out. They can't. So somebody has got to get in the pit to get their arm. And eventually you get a bunch of people in the pit, but somebody's eventually got to stand outside the pit to help the rest of them get out. Like you can form a human chain. Sure. Going into the pit can help that, that person but not everybody's going to jump in. Not everybody should jump in. Otherwise, nobody's getting out. And it's kind of the same yeah. thing about our misery and our suffering. Like it can be helpful to join somebody in their suffering. It can be helpful to be there with them while they are suffering and to experience suffering as a point of being able to relate. But if you're in suffering right. all the time, you're not going to do much good to help them get out of it. You might help them yeah. deal with it while they're in it, but you are not in a position to help them get out of it somebody has to have a foot in both worlds. It's just the way yeah. it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really solid visual to, yeah, paint the picture of, of what that's like in the role that um, we, we have an opportunity to play in that. It's, it's hard. I find myself torn a lot of the time, um, just feeling a lot of empathy for, for people that are Man, there's just you you both know there's just so much suffering in the world and there's so much heartache and, and healing that needs to happen. And it's interesting sometimes when I think about this conversation that we're having around, you know, the like self-created identity and um obsession with that and attachment to that and attachment to certainty. It's like we well, can look at that at an individual level. And it's complex and like and and, and complicated, but you can kind of like un slowly untie the knot when it's like yourself. Like you can really go in and be like, okay, I, I see where I learned this. I see where I learned this and slowly peel back these layers and, um, and shed new light, new perspective, new awareness on those. But approaching that on a collective scale, like <laughs> I can't think about it too. Like I have, I want to, I, I'm so curious about that. Like what it would look like to have sort of um, collective healing and collective like uh, raising of emotional intelligence and collective freedom from a lot of, of beliefs that are really keeping us in cycles of suffering. And I don't just mean beliefs like, oh, if I believe I'm suffering, then like you're just causing your own suffering. We all play a role in our experiences for sure, but also like in the people who are actively causing other people's suffering. There's so much there. Um, it admittedly overwhelms me, but also is like, um, I don't know, a conversation I'm starting starting to have with people. Like, what would that what would that really look like? And I'm curious to hear y'all's perspective on that because I'm sure, I'm sure y'all have gone there too. <laughs> Often and frequently, uh, especially. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> you know, for, for me, because again, yeah. you know, 20 years of just kind of, of watching this. And it's yeah. really interesting because when I had a, so back in 2005, I had a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called the Journal of a Forgetful God. And I was mm. just basically going through all of this stuff and I was getting a mm. lot of blowback. And, and, and it was admittedly because I was being pushy. I had an idea that the world needed to be saved. I had an idea of what that entailed and what we needed to do. And, and so it's like, I had all these ideals and yeah. I wasn't aligning with reality. 
at all. And so over time, mm. as I've let go of myself and I've realized hey, everything's moving at the rate it's supposed to, I'm in the part I'm in, I'm causing ripples and ripples are hitting me all the time. There is no separation whatsoever. And you start to realize like, oh, oh, okay. So just like an individual goes through thousands of thoughts one way or another before one triggers an actual like moment, uh, movement right. towards one. It's the same is true with us. Like just because like there might be thousands of people in, in, in one area, one of those people having an insight causes a ripple that may mm-hmm. not be immediately noticeable because it may cause little ripples. And then somebody else has another big ripple and it causes another cascade of little ripples, but we are changing collectively just like we do individually yeah. on a yeah. larger scale. So there's a lot of patience involved. Yeah, I, I really resonate with that. And every time I remember that, I feel like, oh, relief. Like, I don't, I think that part of something I, I still have to occasionally remember to shed is uh, my upbringing, which told me I was responsible for saving people and making sure they went uh, to the right place when they died. And realizing sometimes that I'm like, oh, but I like, how do we, how do we help? And I'm like, you just have to, you just have to sit back, trust the process, keep, keep, like you said, like there, there are these ripples happening all the time? And in a lot of ways, like I, I feel really um, surprised by all of these voices that I've come across in the last year or two through TikTok and things, right? Where it's like, oh, people are talking about this. And granted, my algorithm is like totally dialed to, to this channel for sure. But this is not stuff I grew up hearing from anyone about. And to now have that on such a massive scale where there are all of these little ripples that are happening in places and for people that maybe wouldn't have had exposure otherwise is like, does make me feel so hopeful and that it's uh, trending in that direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think for me, the recognition, because a few months ago too, I was talking to Ray about this and just saying how like, I was caught up in this, this idea of suffering and like, how can I be happy knowing that there's so much suffering going on? Yeah. And I think some, a couple of things that helped me in particular were the recognition that, you know, we are the world, like we are it. So as we change individually, that's a drop in the hat of the world that is changing. So like all right. you ever have to do, all you ever really can do is change yourself. Like people tend to overestimate how much they can change things outside of themselves and underestimate how much they can change within themselves. So when you recognize that right. you, you are the world or the world or universe existence is a, is a tapestry and you are a thread woven into that tapestry is that thread changes or it gets, starts to shake, you know, that is literally a ripple across the entire tapestry. And I think another thing yeah. that I, that I realized at, at one point was, and I think we talked about this on an episode once, but it was, if you, if you think that you have to change other people, you still think there are other people. So if you recognize <laughs> that you are the world and your identity doesn't actually exist. And this is, I know this is like getting a little bit deeper into things, but like, Let's if you don't see that, or if you still see that there are, or think there are other people that have to be changed, you still see duality and you are taking that duality as truth. And while it is the, the crux of our, this experience is seemingly dualistic there, there's a uh, sort of freedom in the recognition. And it's not to say freedom in the way that all of a sudden, like all of your responsibilities are relinquished and you know, you don't have to do anything, blah, blah, blah. But you know, if, if you see other people, you, you still haven't 
fully recognize that unity. And, and through that, you more understandably recognize that all you have to ever have to do to change the world is change yourself as you change the world. Right. Too. And I have found right. in my experience, especially talking about this stuff that people don't really like being told what to, <laughs> what to recognize or, or what to do. If anything, it will push them further away right. if they're being told that they need to change for the betterment of society. So oftentimes <laughs> while it has good intentions, the reality of it is it's just making things more divided than they already are, no matter how good your intentions are. Mm, yeah, that's a really powerful perspective to keep in mind. I, I appreciate you articulating that. That's really, it's something that I, I, I believe I'm like, yeah, totally. But it's, um, it's, it's just refreshing to hear and to be like, okay, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I'm curious. Um, I'll just be honest. I think that the exploration of like letting go of that duality of seeing a difference between myself and others um, isn't something I've explored a whole lot. Um, I definitely get the essence of what y'all are talking about. And I've heard you talk about this notion on other episodes, um, but I'm curious, like I would love to get a little glimpse into what that experience is like, right? I'm assuming at some point in either or both of your processes, you've had a moment um, as we all do, where there's just like this moment of clarity of like, oh, I, I see, I see that now. I see that unity with everyone. I see that lack of like otherness or, or, or separation or duality. Um, I'm just curious if either of you have a, an example or experience of that, like at the ready, I, I would love to hear. I can give you one from uh, the last 24 hours of my life. Um, oh, perfect. So I, I have various physical ailments because I'm in my 40s and of course I was stupid when I was young and so I did all kinds of stuff that got me injured um, and one of those things was was just working labor jobs where I didn't necessarily take care of myself or, or how I was balanced and so I ended up with all these knots in my neck and, and they've been there for years and so just became aware of those and started kind of working those out and as I was working those out memories start popping up Oh. memories from where these injuries and where these 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 uh, knots came from right and so working through them and my wife was asking well how do you process those and I'm like well I remove myself and she said what do you mean and I was like well so I ran across one and I, I immediately remembered back to an abusive point in my life where you know I, I was being abused and and where before I would have had that memory and I would have went like, oh, how could that happen to me? What kind of a terrible life? I would have just internalized it. It would have just been mm -hmm. about me. I removed the character entirely. I'm like, oh, that happened. Then all of a sudden I have an insight about how the person who abused me wasn't the person I made an assumption about. It's not the idea of that person. They were abused by their parents. They had a life right. I'm not aware of. They had influences that I don't know. And immediately right. upon removing myself, I can see that my idea of them wasn't the truth either. And there goes that duality, mm. that division is gone. Suddenly it's not, I was abused, but abuse happened. And abuse was maintained habitually from that other person and whoever came before them. And so all of a sudden right. the duality of that starts to fall apart. And I start to recognize mm. that it was a part of me, just like you know something happening within my body, a muscle cramp or something like that. That's a part right. of me, but it's not, it's not something I, like if I was to vilify the muscle that's cramping, I wouldn't have the sensitivity to relax it. Mm. 
Yeah. I, I love that example. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel sometimes when we talk about these, these big concepts, uh, <laughs> that are contrary to normal societal conversation of around identity, it gets very like abstract and, um, hearing those examples, I think are so helpful, right? Because you say that and I'm like, oh, I, I had an experience like that yesterday, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay. That's kind of what it feels like to be tapped into that, that sense of, um, I mean, even, even, uh, was said around the tapestry, this, this notion of being a thread and all that you sort of see all of those other threads, maybe they're connected to all these other threads and, and, and seeing more of that bigger picture. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing that example. It's, lovely. it's, it's a fun conversation. It really is. And it's something yeah. that, that we go through all the time because once you get rid of the characters, once you start getting rid of the idea that we are our ideas at all, well, then what you end up with is one free flowing entity that's interacting with itself. It's ripples upon ripples upon ripples, but we say ripples with the same perception that we're separate. There really is no ripple because there's no division, right? <laughs> and, and so it's, again, it's a, it's a matter of, of sensitivity. And, and that's why often we'll talk about this conceptually, we'll point at it in the direction of the insight that we're having, but we can't actually communicate it because it's so vast because right. it's so big to see how reality is seamlessly interwoven, right? That we can't actually get there with language, but we can point the way, which is half the fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. And I think that was, it's funny that Ray brought up one from yesterday because I was actually going to bring up one from yesterday and say how like <laughs> my sort of like initial inkling of this happened. And I, it's a very, you know, profound experience that I had last summer, basically, where, which kind of like woke me up. But mm. you know, the thing is, it's not like a, it's, it's kind of like the idea of the illusion of an ego death. It's like, as soon as you say, I had an ego death, you're identifying as <laughs> I. So you're saying, using the ego to explain that it, it died. And it's like, there is no ego <laughs> death, you know, that is, right. is, you know, the ticket to your experience. So these things, the recognition is happening every single moment. It's not like a recognition. And then it's just like, oh, and then everything's changed. And like, that's it. It's like, you're right. going in and out, up and down all the time. But yesterday, I totally feel that. it's like yesterday, and Ray said this a few times, the idea, just like, if someone asks him, like, how do you know that we're all the same thing? And I'll say, well, everyone identifies as I or ever everyone identifies as me right it's pretty pretty obvious no like I've always kind of gotten that I'm like yeah but it's different different eyes and then yesterday actually I was, I was just starting a walk around New York was just going to wander for a while and it hit me so much more clearly and all of a sudden like everyone and it was pretty crowded like midday on a decent day uh Sunday in, in New York it was pretty crowded and no one had a name. No one had an identity. It was just like everyone I'm walking past identifies as I or identifies mm. as me. And I was like, oh my God, like we are all <laughs> just awareness of each other within and without mm. each other here and now. So I was just basking in that. It felt like I was full on tripping for like, yeah. I walked around for like three hours, like through some indoor little mall areas and like outside for a while. And I was just like, no, didn't listen to anything was just absolutely in awe of everything for so long. And like, I made a video about it. And then just like, after that, just kind of walked around basking in that recognition that like, there are no others and everyone thinks that like they say, I am Andrew or, 
you know, I am Ariel or I am Ray. And, and we all think we're that name, but we're all saying I, we're all identifying as the same thing. And it's like, I is everything and everyone and everywhere. So it makes sense. It's actually not a incorrect statement, but it's just, I thinking that you are not I, that you are the name. And, And that's where the distortion sort of comes in. And that's what leads to this existence that is, that has become very identified and very dualistic. And, and because there is so much need for this more for me and this identity, it's, it's like a balancing act. Like as soon as something goes higher and, and hoarding for me, because I am separate, there's going to be an equal and opposite effect on the other end. So that's where Mm. I've seen how suffering sort of ties into it. It's like our Mm. relationship with our identity and thinking, not recognizing that we are it. We are all threads on the same tapestry. We think we are separate threads wandering around, but there is no space and there is no time. So it's all the same happening here. And now we just think that it isn't. And we think that there's this separate identity, which leads to, because there's, you know, people hoarding so much for themselves because they think that's it. And they've taken their identity to be the truth. There's not going to be enough left for everyone else to even have basic survival. So yeah, but that, that was a recognition I had within the last 24 hours as well. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's fun. And I texted, even texted Ray yesterday. Like <laughs> I fucking love this stuff, man. Like this is, <laughs> I just, it's, it's the best just and being able to talk about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm appreciative that you're here with us now having enjoying the conversation. You mentioned the point there, Andrew, and I was actually yeah, curious to, yeah. to, uh, to get Ariel's uh, idea on this as well, because it's interesting because if you look at all the cells within our body, they're all having an individual experience. They're all doing their own thing with their own reality, but they're all me, right? Like even if they identify individually, they all make up one me. And the same is true for the world, right? Even though we identify individually, it's all one me, it's all one world, it's all one I, right? But when cells start working against the body, when they start acting out of alignment with the rest of the body, we call that cancer, Mm -hmm. right? And so it kind of begs the question of how much of our distorted mentality is not only um, adding to our stress and disharmony, which adds to our lack of health in general, but are we not also in the same way we were talking about earlier ripples affecting ripples, adding to the overall um, unhealthy atmosphere that we're a part of? Are we adding to the the problems of the world simply by not addressing our own individual problems? Are we being cancer until we heal ourselves? Mm. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Really, again, comes back to this personal responsibility piece of just like owning what's going on here. Um, I love all of this because I think that there's so much nuance to this conversation, right? There's so much. And when I mentioned people like receiving some sort of pushback to this notion that we have this responsibility for our experiences, for the way that we engage and relate to our experiences and to this notion of ourselves, um, it can be really, really tricky to identify that because I think that there's so much fear in the world of not getting what I need and feeling like I have to look out for myself and being in this, in this survival mode, um, that feels misunderstood. And like, I have to look out for me. And I think 
I, I have so much compassion for that lens. Like it makes sense that why, why anyone might believe that way. And I think that a lot of the pushback that I've heard, not just my own content, but um, that I've seen in pushback to others in, who are having these conversations is this notion that it's like lacking empathy or that it's lacking understanding of other people's experience or that it's, um, and to some degree, I would say that there is some privilege to it. This, having the space uh, to sit with these questions and to look at the world differently, um, at least in my experience is, does come from a lot of privilege from having the time and the space and the energy and like whatever else to not just focus on all of that toward my survival. Um, so I do recognize that there is a, um, some privilege wrapped up in that, but I love the way Ray, that you just articulated it. Um, the way that you just articulated it was very empathetic and very like compassionate toward the world. The sense of like, okay, I have a sort of loving responsibility if we want to call it that. And I, I personally would a sort of loving responsibility if I care about, about all of this um, to do my part to shift the way that that is in the world. And without understanding the nuance that is within that, I think it can be kind of offensive to people who feel misunderstood in their suffering. Um, but I, I just love the way that you articulated that there because I think it really it really shined the spotlight on on the empathetic lens, really the empathetic approach that that takes um, of lovingly acknowledging my responsibility to this oneness. And if and if I want there to be less of this suffering in the world, there um, then there's really only only one thing for me to do, and that's say like I I right here can shift the way that I'm contributing to this energetic exchange that's taking place and just like kind of hope for the best and trust the process. So oh, I really, yeah. I really appreciate it. The way that you articulated that I'm gonna have to go back once this is out and <laughs> listen to that again, just to get that little burst of hope. Cause it is. I've it's, um, had a lot of responses over the years, exactly. Like you're talking about, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, well, I'm suffering, I'm going through pain. And, and it's right. interesting because while what you said about there being a certain degree of privilege is often the case. I know for me, I was in the depth of poverty and despair. There was, there, there was no, privilege. I, hear that too, I was, yeah. I was barely eating at the time when I woke up. So that, that kind of went into that, but mm. it, it comes down to the fact that regardless of how empathetic you might be, regardless of how in tune you are, somebody who is hurting, somebody who is not in a state where they are healing, but they are still looking for the cause of their hurt, isn't going to hear you. They're going to try and right. make you into what they need you to be. And that has nothing to do with you. There's nothing right. you can do about that except to continue to empathize and go, if I need to be the villain for you right now, then so be it. Oof, that's good. Allowance, just, al just allowing it, just trusting the process. Even that we can cling to, right? Like, wait, no, 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 don't make me the villain. Like, this is not my shit to deal with, you know, but it's also like, okay, well. Even that is a level of clinging to identity within within oneself that if you let go of, there's some there's some more freedom and empathy to be had there. That's but beautiful. it's not easy. I remember um, <laughs> my <laughs> wife and I got invited to somebody's house uh, when I was much younger and I was waking up and I wasn't nearly as, as patient as I am now. Um, and <laughs> at one point in the conversation, his wife looked at me and she's like, I just hate it when you speak. <laughs> And that, that pretty much set the tone for the rest of the evening. And, and it was just because I, 
I was so adamant about what I was saying that I wasn't recognizing that mm. it was causing her discomfort because it was so mm. far outside of where she was. And this is, we covered this in a previous episode that, you know, it's one thing to be insightful. It's another thing to be insightful and not know how to build bridges. Right? <laughs> if, you, if you can't find a way from where yeah. you are to where they are, it doesn't do any good. And all you end up seeming right. is like somebody who's aloof. And so you see somebody who's beyond their problems that can't possibly understand because when we're in pain, it, while it's not the case that our pain is special, it certainly feels special. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I there's like that identification. The, absolutely. Yeah. With the with the build bridge building aspect of that, like some people almost uh, it seems like they don't care whether they do or don't, and it's like, is there something? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it, even if even in the conversation of like well, if they're not at my level, like I, I don't need to get to their level. And it's like, are you really seeing this connectivity that you have to everything? Or are you missing mm. it? Are you missing that connection? Do you still see yourself mm. as separate if you don't mm. recognize that connection, that bridge that is already there? There's already a bridge. You don't have to build a bridge. You just have to recognize it. So if you can't recognize mm. it, are you missing some of that point? And I think too, with with the empathy side of it and, and the judgment side of it, for me, the recognition that, you know, if I were to trade Adam for Adam experience for experience with someone else, like I would do the same exact thing that they would do. I would make the same mm. exact decision they would make. I would say the same exact thing that they would say. So through that, it doesn't mean, you know, that you have to agree with everyone and be like, oh yeah, I would do the same thing. So sure. Yeah, that's fine. It's like, no, you have a different experience. You have different atoms going on and whatever, some semblance of a, though you're not separate, a different perspective or however you want to say it. So you can utilize that perspective in order to help with the ripples in those who may not see that clarity, though you would do the same thing that they would. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree and, and work towards shifting some perspective through your experience. And I think that helps a lot because so many people are so quick to package people up and, and put them in a box and be like, oh, I would never do that because I'm a good person and they're a bad person, something like that. So if you, the initial thing after this, you can do whatever you want, but initially recognize that you would do the same thing that they would if you were mm. in their shoes, same atoms, same experiences, same past, same upbringing and everything. If you can recognize that, you can act through so much more clarity mm. through that empathy and, and lack of initial knee-jerk judgment. It's not to say that I, you know, I judge things and people all the time. It's like, it's not this super easy thing to do all the time, but right. in that recognition, there's a lot more clarity for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautifully articulated. I think you're absolutely right. And again, there's so much empathy to, to everything that we're saying here, which I really just value, but, um, kind of related to that, I've been playing with this practice lately that has been really transformative in helping me shift into that perspective that you were just talking about. Um, I, I wish I had the full quote in front of me, but Pema Chopin has this quote. She says something to the effect of behind all rigidity of the heart. And within that, I think she would include like anxiety or knee-jerk reactions, like below, like behind all of that is fear. And if you can get to the fear and touch the fear, like approach it without your own fear, you, you'll find a soft place behind it. And I, I'm, for some reason that quote just like 
punched me in the gut. And I was like, what is that? And I just found myself rolling it over like a Werther's caramel in my mouth, like for, for days. And I thought, I, I feel like this could be a very applicable practice. And so I started doing it multiple times a day to myself, where if I felt a knee jerk reaction to something, if I felt any even small wave of anxiety or stress or rigidity or defensiveness, um, I would immediately pause. And um, luckily I work from home. So this is very easy to do just in my own space. I would pause and I would really feel, allow myself to feel that rigidity, whatever form that it was taking. And then ask myself, okay, where is the fear behind that? And it's immediately, at least for me, and I, I mean, I have had a contemplative practice for a long time, but immediately the fear just bubbles to the surface when you ask for like, what's behind that. And then noticing, okay, okay, here's this fear. And again, this phrase I say to myself, like, oh, of course, of course, that's like a reasonable fear to have, of course, that you, that's something that you'd be afraid of. Um, and then again, would ask, okay, where's the soft place behind that? And that part felt the most abstract. Like, what does that even mean? But it, when I asked myself that, like, okay, where's the soft place behind that fear? Again, immediately a, a sort of answer would, would bubble to the surface. And it's been so interesting to do that within my own self to like, to pause that reactivity to other people, especially <laughs> people just have a way of poking at us. It's just such a fun part of being human. Um, it really helped pause my own reactivity. But then the more I played with it, the more I realized I could identify that in other people. Speaking of like this unity that we have with other people, I would see people like now I can see, and it, it, it's, a, it's a newer practice for me, but when I'm intent on it, if someone responds to me with rigidity, anxiety, anger, insecurity, I don't know, whatever else, I want to have my own reaction to that and meet them from that place of, of rigidity. But if I can pause and ask myself like, okay, where might their fear be behind that? I can't know for certain, but I can make some educated guesses as to where this rigidity or this anxiety or this like frustration is coming from or their own knee-jerk reaction. I can imagine where that's coming from. Can I see where also there might be a soft spot for them behind that? A desire. Often it's like the soft spot is a desire. Oh, your fear is a reflection of a desire that you have that you're afraid isn't, isn't going to take place. Often, right? Like as humans, a desire for connection. Um, and if I can find that soft place, I can come into my own soft place and meet their rigidity with, with that level of softness and empathy and understanding, um, and a sort of recognition as you were saying, Andrew, that like, oh yeah, if I was in your shoes, I would, I would, I would through that, the desire, find the fear and, and react in that rigidity. I would probably do the same thing. And then if I can meet them from that softer place below all of that, that built up identity and built up, you know, rigidity and all that stuff. It's so wild because I thought that that would be in some way, something that would uh, make me feel less powerful. Like I was like, oh, I'll just be the softer one. Like, and, and in some way um, concede to them being the, the, like the an angry, powerful one or something. But it's like so wild. The more I do that and respond to people in that way, they'll just like melt and come right down. Most of the time, melt down and come to that softness. We'll meet in that place together. And I feel like... Um, in practice, what you're like, that's what you were just saying, Andrew, looks like that in practice for me. I'm like, okay, how do I actually take this desire to not just have this knee jerk reaction, to have this empathy for where other people are coming from, and to not force them to see things from my perspective or force something else on them? Um, but meeting in that place allows for this completely different energetic exchange that, that just, I think, is really, really allows that situation to be shifted for both of us and for the, for, in, a, in a way back to what you're saying, Ray, too, that, that sort of collective sense of like, in some weird way, me deciding to take that path allows me to shift the collective energetic exchange that we're 
having, um, which is just so powerful. It's so wild. It is. It's interesting um, what you were saying kind of reminded me of, of uh, something that Krishnamurti said about recognizing fear, about rather than looking for the reasons that we're afraid, looking at the fact of our fear. I'm afraid mm. just for what it is without judgment or preconception, just to look at it. Right. And, and that, that kind of did the same thing for me in that mm. as soon as I could see, I was just staring at fear, then I could start to remove that fear just by looking at it, right? And that allowed me to get to that soft spot behind it or that point of, of vulnerability, of clarity. I wasn't just staring at the illusion anymore. And right. then later on when I took Wing Chun, it became a difference in application because in, in karate and Taekwondo and a bunch of other martial arts, it's very rigid, right? Your, your mm -hmm. muscles are very rigid. It's like hitting somebody with an iron bar, but in Wing Chun, your hands are almost always open. You're very soft in Wing Chun. Mm -hmm. And so when a punch comes blazing in, you actually kind of meet it and just let it, tell you where it's going and that oh, became a different way of dealing with other people's fear all of a sudden it was I'm not in danger I'm like wow, outside gosh. of you know there may be some physical altercation as a result of this person's mentality my state of being's not in danger I'm not threatened by it right and so right. I can be there for that person but as long as I'm protecting myself as long as I'm doing this I'm not in the conversation right right Oh, that's a powerful visual. Yeah, I totally, I totally resonate with that. Yeah, something I, I feel like this sort of way that this has come out for me, especially personally, but it's also applicable to other people too. Like my perception of other people is just asking why, like when, when something comes mm -hmm. up, like I'm, I'm super nervous for, you know, a, a presentation or something. And it's like, why are you nervous? Because I want to do a good job. Why do you want to do a good job? Because I want people to have a positive perception of me why do you want people to have a positive perception of you because i want you know more friends or something and th there comes a point along that line like why do you want more friends uh i already have enough friends i don't really need more friends and it, it, there yeah, comes a yeah. point along that path where it's like that one doesn't really make sense because you don't really care about that you just like right. kind of assume because it's been your nature for so long and, and maybe in the past you didn't have as many friends or something like when you were younger, something like that, right. that's sort of bubbling up. And you're so used to over the years, it's kind of like the game of telephone that there was a deeper reason further back, but it's not really applicable anymore, but it's still in that same situation sort of bubbles up. Yes. And yes. so literally just asking why, and like, kind of like little kids do like, you know, why is the sky blue? <laughs> because, you know, the waters or why is the water blue because the sky is blue or stuff like that and it's like why 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 and it's like gets really annoying eventually <laughs> but and then eventually parents are just like oh it's just the way it is and that kind of ends it for the most part and people in society do that quite a bit too to not have to continue questioning things but yeah I, I found that to be a sort of similar type of practice of just kind of getting to the deeper roots of that to eventually the point like i why myself to death and then it's like the or <laughs> why my fear to death and it's like there's a part that doesn't make as much sense and then it's like oh right so there isn't really as much to worry about and also like the other side of that is with nerves or, or something like that it's like being able to sit and just recognize that kind of like ray was saying just see it and be like i don't have to get rid of this i can just yeah see it. I can, I can feel it. I can be nervous and still do a good job. There's nothing saying that they have to be mutually exclusive. That was the, that was the main key for me. Mm. Like 
four years ago. When I recognized that all of a sudden it wasn't about getting rid of the nerves because I used to get very, very nervous and I would always try and suppress them. And you know, that whole idea of what you resist persists. So it would, it would never go away. It would only get worse. Yeah. And then as soon as I started accepting it and being like, I'm nervous right now, I'm, I'm worried, whatever. And that's okay. And then all of a sudden it's like, it just kind of like settles into reality of the moment. So between those two things, they've definitely helped me a lot with that. Oh man, that was a gift. I would love to, to give everyone the the ability and the, and the sort of willingness to sit with what we're feeling long enough to realize it doesn't have the power that we think it does that we've assigned to it. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's such a beautiful lesson, a hard one. I mean, it's uh man, it takes a lot of years of unpacking, you know, that belief that like, if I feel this way, it means this or, or this will happen as a result of that or whatever else we have tied up in that, but to be able to sit with that long, long enough to see like, Oh, if I just sit here and recognize it and give it the space to be for 90 seconds, it'll dissipate yeah. or maybe it'll persist. And then I just still do the thing. And then I'm like, Oh, I, it, it, I felt that. And I still was able to, to go forward with the job interview with the speaking engagement or whatever it was. So that's, um, yeah, I, I think of that about that a lot on this, on this journey. Like there are certain things I come across like, that. I'm like, Oh, I wish I could give that to everyone. Like, I wish I could just like plug that in the updated iOS. Yeah, I, I hear you. And it's funny though, because if I could go back and talk to my teenage self, my teenage self wouldn't have listened to me. And, and <laughs> that's, that's the stark reality because I wasn't in a, yeah. in a mindset to see the benefit of what I was saying. And, and I know when I transitioned into life coaching, which I stepped away from for a while, I'm, I'm doing it here and there now. Um, it, it was very much just about getting people to a point where they recognize the benefit of questioning themselves or they recognize the benefit mm. of not immediately believing their emotional state of mind or their, or their, uh, their knee-jerk perception of things just to question it and then go out yeah. in the world because as soon as they do like I used to try and cheer people up in a life coaching session which is a terrible thing to do don't do that um, right just <laughs> allow them to cheer themselves up right allow them to, to lift that weight yeah. off because that's what cheers them up it's not you being yeah. pleasant it's you helping them realize that the weight they're carrying doesn't have to be there. And, and that was it. It's just like, okay, let's get you to a point where you can take that weight off and see what it feels like. And then that did the work. It's just the feeling. It's the exposure to that other way of living. Mm. As soon as they feel yeah. that, it's like, I want more of that. But you can't, you can't like lead them to it. They have to feel it first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. I was just talking to a friend, in fact, who recently did immersion therapy. She had a, a severe fear that she's dealt with for most of her life. And she finally sought out um, a, a specialist and, and did immersion therapy. And she let me ask her about it because I was like, I've, I've never, aside from whatever that show was where they used to do that to people, <laughs> a reality show, do you remember that where they would like submerge you in a tank of tarantulas just to, like, to help you get over it? What? That, oh, that's what it's called. Okay. Yeah. What a, what a weird Humans are so weird. The entertainment yes. we come up with. Um, anyway, but I was like, I was asking about her experience and that's, uh, the, that's the, the main part of that experience actually had less to do with immersion and more to do with um, her being trained that she could sit with severe discomfort and, and learn that it's not as bad as she had made it out to be. And that not only was it not as bad as she could make it out to be, but she was much more capable of handling whatever came up than she also thought she was. So there's like all these constructs that we have that keep us locked there. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's so beautiful. And honestly, that's, um, yeah, that 
that learning that we can sit with uncertainty and the discomfort of uncertainty or discomfort of our own fears or emotions, um, for me is like a, a huge pull toward meditation. I mean, I don't, I don't know if either of you, um, practice regularly. Um, but I am raised laughing. I, I get the sense that you practice many forms of meditation over your years, right? <laughs> That's one way to put it for sure. <laughs> um, well, now I'm curious about all that too, but I, I don't know about, about you both, but I, I don't know. Meditation is so often pitched as something that's like good for activating your parasympathetic nervous system and it's going to help you lower stress and it's going to help lower your blood pressure. It has all of these sort of like medical, like, okay, Americans, like, here's why you should, you should meditate. Um, and none of those were ever appealing to me, but the few times that I would meditate early on, um, there was just something interesting about it. And I remember being like, this is so boring. And yet some part of me is like, let's go back though and do that again. Um, and I think uh, one experience that I finally realized it was so beneficial for is exactly what you're just addressing, Ray, about like really teaching ourselves that we um, are capable of sitting with discomfort or far more capable than we realize that we are. And I mean, one really easy way to teach yourself that is, is sitting in boredom, like sitting in meditation, being bored is like uncomfortable. It's a minor discomfort, but it is uncomfortable. And then you realize like, oh, that's not that bad. And then once you make it through the board, I'm like other things come up and you're like, oh, I guess I can sit through that too. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm really grateful to uh, meditation for serving as a really simple, accessible, in a way, easy, in another way, terrifyingly challenging um, opportunity to, to practice that. And beyond that, just to explore consciousness. Like there's so much, there's so much there when you get quiet. Um, that's so fascinating. But yeah, I, again, another gift I wish I could give everyone just the, the realization that like, oh, this discomfort that I want to run from, whatever that looks like is actually not what I've made it up to be, not what I've created it as. Yeah, I, I feel like when there's, you know, when you get to a point where you're comfortable in discomfort, it's like, is there still discomfort then if you're comfortable in it? And it's like, you know, we could probably argue that, but it's, it's similar to if you're not afraid of being afraid, if you're not afraid of all those feelings that you've always been so afraid of happening, it's like, is there anything to worry about then? If you've sat mm. in those feelings that you've always been so afraid of and right. realize and sort of like come out the other side and recognize that you're, you're totally fine. You're still alive. You're still breathing all of a sudden there's less of that getting worried about feeling worried or getting nervous about feeling nervous, because if you get nervous about feeling nervous, then you get nervous about feeling nervous about getting nervous <laughs> about feeling nervous, you know? And it's like this endless cycle until you recognize that it's okay to be nervous or it's okay to be uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden there isn't that fear sort of leading up to it. And, and there is an right. acceptance for whenever it arises because those feelings, that was the thing too, is like a big thing for me was I was always growing up like pretty quiet. And especially in high school, just like had a pretty big fear of like public speaking and just putting myself out there. And I always thought, and now it's like not something I worry about, but I always thought that all the people who are really good public speakers or whatever, like they never got nervous. It was like, my thinking was, Oh, I just have to never get nervous. And then mm. I'll be fine. Like if I just get to a point, I read enough books, watch enough videos and I'm not nervous leading up to it, 
then, then I'll be good. Then I'll, then I'll be great. And it wasn't that I recognized over the last, you know, five, six years, it was, it was okay. It was always the whole time that I was so afraid of it. Like there was nothing wrong with that. It was just the doing of it that was going to get me to it. It was feeling that and doing it anyway, not avoiding it and trying yeah. to overcome that initial feeling. It was like, no, feel afraid and then go do it and be like, oh, wow, it's never, ever in my entire life been nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. And then eventually, you know, you do it so many times that that fear leading up to it just like gets a little smaller and a little smaller. And, you know, I still for certain, you know, whatever thing coming up, sometimes get some nerves and it's an immediate just like, I'm a little nervous right now and that's okay. Sometimes I'm grateful when I'm a little bit nervous as opposed to not nervous at all. Cause it gives me sort of like some energy for it mm. and, and some, it's almost like an excitement, even though I'm, I'm kind of portraying it as nerves. It's like, I'm kind of happy that they're there. Cause it's like, all right, this is something mm. that's going on here. That's making me a little uncomfortable. That means there's opportunity to learn and, and get better at something that right. I'm still uncomfortable with. There's a good quote from Bruce Lee. Uh, Don't pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to deal with a hard one. Mm. And it's a good, it's words to live by, right? Because if you're always expecting things to live up to your expectations, you're always going to be in frustration. You're always going to be in conflict, right? Whereas if you have the right. ability to roll and align and adapt, then you can make the most out of pretty much any situation. But what I found really interesting mm. was you were talking about meditation, about how when we sit and we're still, that discomfort comes up and there's a benefit to sitting through that discomfort. And I would say that that is actually what we're always dealing with because we're talking about when For people sure. react, when they defend themselves in, in a knee-jerk fashion to protect their identity and all of that. Well, what are they doing? They're avoiding the uncertainty of the stillness that, that would have come before that reaction. They could have sat, waited, created an entirely new reaction, but the uncertainty of that stillness made them reach for a previous one made them reach for something <laughs> right. they've used before. So it's right. always the same stillness that makes us uncomfortable, whether we're meditating or going to work. For sure. For sure. For sure. I feel like uh, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And uh, I think, again, uh, not to put everyone on blast and really push meditation on anyone, <laughs> but I feel like that's, that's exactly it. You start to get comfortable with that stillness and recognizing, Oh, if I can do this here, I could do this anywhere in life. You know, it's like, um, and then the practice becomes mobile. It's just wherever you are, there you are, right. You're practicing sort of as you go. Um, yeah, yeah. I love that. I think you're, I think you're totally right. And if we can just learn that that stillness isn't as, as terrifying, as we make it out to be, you can hold on. Um, as they say in Buddhism, like extend the gap so that you don't get hooked by that 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 classic reaction or that that reaction that you have built in all of the time. Um, and then beyond that, kind of circling back to what you were just saying, Andrew, too, I feel like what you're describing here is such an interesting perspective shift on how we view our experiences and the emotions that scare us at times. Like if we can look at, in your case, okay, nerves or something that used to terrify me, I need to get over them. Like I need to not have this nervousness. Um, then there's this sort of uh, that, what you were saying about resisting, what we resist, we persist. Um, I feel like I've already quoted Pema Chodron once, but it, another quote from her is coming to mind. So why not? Um, I love what she says about this. She says that um, to stay with that shakiness, to stay with that discomfort, like is the spiritual path. There's, there's not, there's not getting out of it. It's, it's recognizing, can I switch this and realize that 
anywhere that I feel stuck, anywhere that I feel afraid, anywhere that I feel like clinging to this reaction um, isn't something to actually be afraid of. What if I shifted my perspective and, and saw if I'm seeing that I'm stuck here, if I'm seeing that I'm have this having this specific reaction that I always have to this, to this experience, um, that is a portal to unburdening myself a little bit more, to recognizing like, well, I'm really clinging to how I view that emotion. I'm really clinging to how I think that this experience is going to happen. The problem isn't the experience. The problem isn't my nerves. The problem isn't any of this. The problem is how I'm choosing to relate to that. And what if I could just flip the script and say like, here's a portal to me unburdening myself a little bit more from that clinging. Um, then all of a sudden that rigidity comes up, that anxiety, the nerves, whatever. And you're like, I'm in it. Like, this is it. This is what it's about is like sitting with this. And that shifts what was terrifying into something that's like really beautiful and like such a lovely opportunity. And that shift alone, which took me admittedly a very long time to adopt, um, but that shift alone is, I feel so powerful for shifting our own experience and the way that we relate to ourselves, to the world, to others. Well, they're not really others as previously discussed ad nauseum, but that for another time. Um, yeah, it's just so, it's just so, so powerful. Uh, and uh, certainly back to what you had said earlier, Ray, like we're talking about what, what these ripples um, or, or really just taking personal responsibility for my experience in the world and trusting that that will have an impact on this collective um, ex human experience. Like that's, that's one of the inroads for me, taking that responsibility for how I'm relating to those serious situations. Awareness changes the ripples, right? Like uh, uh, Andrew yeah. and I often talk about how just awareness of what is influences what is I mean that that's how it goes right right but, uh, right yeah it, it's it's a really interesting journey so I have a question for you because often yeah. as a life coach I've had people ask the question that and this is in the same vein as our challenges are ultimately blessings when you start to look at them as opportunities to to pick away at, at your conflict and your illusions um yeah. I've often had people in relationships say like, I'm on a very conscious path. I feel like my partner is not, can that work? And in my opinion, the, the idea that they're not is first of all, an assumption that's often self-validating. <laughs> um, and it's just that you don't understand necessarily what their path might be, but being in a relationship, especially because a relationship is so challenging as it goes on, um, can be a huge catalyst for growth if you can apply right. the same lessons, if you can apply the same yes. um, perceived needs as opposed to actual needs um, in your relationship <laughs> with, with a romantic partner, they're an ongoing source of revelation. They're an ongoing source of insight because they get to see your triggers. <laughs> they know all of your buttons. And, and so living with them over time gives you those opportunities where I've, I've met a lot of people on a spiritual path who will avoid relationships. They will take the path of the singular person. And it's often because it's easier. It's just easier. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Oh man. I, I told that we, did I, I, I was so caught up in everything that you were saying and like humming and hawing over here. Did I, I think I might've missed your question in there. I don't think I actually from... asked it. I guess my, my question oh, okay. is, because well, I know <laughs> you are in a relationship. You have a partner that you yeah. host your podcast with. Yeah. Um, how has that developed over time? Have you found your partner to be as instrumental as a source of insight as your other day-to-day -day exercises? Or have you found that that's been a little bit more of a challenge to pull those insights out of those conversations because you're so close? 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. And thank you for letting me ask what the question was. I'm glad we narrowed that down. Cause there's I was like, we could go a lot of different ways with this way. Um yeah, I think that's such a great question. Um, and I love getting to talk about this because it's not something I really saw a lot of examples for growing up or even now. Um, I'm almost curious to flip, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip your question back on you, Ray, knowing that you were also in a partnership and curious to hear your answer to that too. But um, oh my gosh, honestly, being in what I would, I don't mean to label it, but being in conscious partnership has been one of the absolute biggest catalysts for, for continued growth and, um, and really just like having a, a mirror so close, like you said, someone who knows your triggers, knows your buttons, um, pushes them like, you know, unintentionally. Uh, yeah. So for me, um, I really thought that I had healed a lot. I have a lot of um, religious and a lot of romantic relational trauma that I've had to work through um, and sort of like chip away at, speaking of like these identities we build and these preconceived notions that we have around um, how we relate to other people romantically or otherwise. Um, I had a lot of healing work to do there. Um, and yeah, just a lot of trauma to work through, but I thought I had healed. I thought I had really <laughs> sifted through a lot of that on my own and I had, um, but it's just so different to your point. Like if, if I, if any of us were to continue on a sort of single path, I think someone feels called to that or like, feels like that's what they want. So be it, you know, to each their own. Um, I just definitely would not have gone as deep and, and shed as many layers um, and learned new ways of relating, um, if I had not been in partnership and definitely I feel really grateful for it and see it as, again, just one of the biggest catalysts in my own, um, process, um, in my own journey through all of not only the healing, but even just, I don't know. I don't really love the word awakening. And I don't think that there is one awakening, right? There's just like all these little blips of awakening moments that we have, Ongoing. but that has been, yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's been, yeah, my partnership has been uh, huge and um, has really, really hugely impacted all of that. Um, yeah, so early in relationship, found a lot of those triggers, very deep that where I couldn't even find them. And you let someone else in that close, like I would have gone forever if I had not been in partnership and just like not even know that they were there. Uh, you let someone in close they find them. I had a lot of relational wounds, like I said, and so it immediately led to a lot of, a lot of my own healing. And I'm really grateful. Um, my partner has a lot of patience and a lot of, uh, grace and gentleness and understanding for the human experience. So when I was like being triggered and having anxiety attacks, like we just started dating it's supposed to be this like lovely early dating phase. And I'm like being triggered once a month and like having anxiety attacks that were really, uh, just left me so wrung out. Um, and I'm really grateful. He had a lot of, like I said, patience and gentleness to not just be frustrated with that or like, why is this happening? But to be like, okay, let's look at this with some curiosity, like what's going on here. And, um, I think really helped me find that gentleness toward myself in that process as well. So, um, I now, uh, it, it is honestly just I mean, we still work through things regularly, right? But having really healed more thoroughly from a lot of those wounds, now it's just fun and really challenging sometimes. But now I'm like, oh, I have uh, this, this other person who is as interested in me as uh, in uh, exploring 
consciousness and having these intentionally expansive experiences as he always calls them. And, um, and really like having these conversations. I mean, this is why we ended up starting our own podcast. I feel like we, we often joke, like everyone will be, you know, sitting around a table and like, we should start a podcast. This conversation is great. Um, but we were just sitting around the table all of the time, having these conversations and really like recognizing we didn't have a lot of examples of, um, again, what I would call maybe conscious partnership or people who are having these conversations and digging in and thinking, I want to relate better than I saw. Uh, I love my parents. I would like to relate better than them. I think they would even want that for me. You know, I would like to relate better in partnership and in friendship and in all these other relationships better than the examples that I see around me. Like, how do we translate all of this inner work that we're doing to unburden ourselves from these illusions that we create um, about our own identities, about other people's identities, about that separateness. How do we actually take all of that, like really sometimes heady consciousness exploring, like philosophical, really zoomed out conversations and, and bring those into like, okay, can we bring that down to earth though? Cause we are having this experience and I think we could just do it a lot better. <laughs> I think that there's, there's just a better way of, of doing all of that. So, um, yeah, long story short, partnership for me has been very challenging, agitating, healing, beautiful, expansive. And um, I, I, I personally am um, an advocate for it in terms of like it helping you, it serving as a mirror and helping you even explore your own snags and illusions and um, preconceived notions about yourself and about the world. So that's my experience of it. But again, Ray, I'm curious to turn uh, the microphone back over to you and, and hear from your own experience um, being in, in partnership with all of this. And then I'm going to pass it over to Andrew because I know he's going through the mid-20s relationship thing in and out, having his own experience. And I just wanted to mention very quickly that as true yeah. as it is that your romantic partner will challenge you, if you have close friends who have known you for a long time, they will also right. challenge you. They will also for push sure. your buttons, for sure. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, so my wife and I have been together for 18 years. Um, wow. When we first met, I was just waking up. Well, I've been on this path, I guess, for a couple of years. And, and she was uh, having a conflict with, with uh, her chosen career path. She was going to counseling at the time when we met. And it was just mm. because it didn't make sense to her in the way that she thought it should. She was in it for the wrong reason. She was doing it more or less because it was the path that she was told she was, she should take. And there was all this mm. you know, respect and prestige and control and all this other stuff, but it was stressing her out. And so we, we met and, and immediately my perspective kind of hit her over the head like a hammer, which was there is no control. And really your life is the priority. Let's keep that in mind. You're trying to get a job, but if you're a wreck, how is that helping you? And, and <laughs> so that was it. And then she of course started challenging me because she came from a completely different way of life, upper middle-class family. You know, her dad was in finance, blah, blah, blah. I was basically just coming off the street. So it was a very different um, mentality either way. And so she would challenge me and I would challenge her. And then for the first three months, uh, she either left or I kicked her out every day. And then the next three months after that, it was every second day. Um, and <laughs> and then, it, then it stopped being arguments. It started being, right, we've been here. Oh, okay. We know where we're getting tripped up. Oh, okay. I can understand why I'm reacting that way. And it was because we didn't avoid them. We never went into the relationship with the idea that if we argue, that is a sign of the end times. It was this is a this is what happens when two two beings come into um, into a relationship with one another that don't resonate the same way. 
it takes some time for them to find that equal right. resonance, just like two tuning right. forks, right? So right. that was the mentality we went into the relationship with. And then about a year later, um, I said, I have to leave. I'm sorry. I'm at this point in my journey where I just can't be around people or anything that I attach to for, for comfort or security. I'm running away to go mm. live in the forest. And she said, oh, well, I'm going to come with you. And so we sold all our stuff and we built a shack in the woods and we lived in, in that shack for about eight months. And in that eight months, we really wow. found all of the trigger points, all of them, because nothing <laughs> says stress and anxiety, like being cold and wet and hungry with no shower or, or hot water or anything else. And so wow. that set the template. And then ever since then, we've always been on the same footing in terms of we know who each other are. We know where, who we are, regardless of how we're acting at any given point. Like if, if it's a bad day, it's like, all right, I'll see you in an hour when you're through that, right? Because then that's, you're going to be back. Right now, all I'm dealing with is what you're going through. And that's important mm. to remember too with relationships with people. Sometimes you're talking mm. to them. Sometimes you're talking to what they're going through very mm. different conversation right so right. just want to pass this off to andrew because i know andrew yeah. has um a large a largest family as as well as a, an extensive friend network um not something that mm. i can relate to in all honesty mm. because i've always moved i've always been transient i don't have much of a family and so i'm curious andrew um do you find that to be the same thing where you're often getting challenged you know in in either respectful or disrespectful ways by the people who are closest to you and do you find that's helpful yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I was initially going to say, like, I'm not currently in a, a romantic relationship, but definitely since sort of last summer and especially questioning a lot of things, just talking about this stuff, but my family has been involved in, in a lot of that. And even myself, like, I think, you know, people talk about the people who are closest to you who have the deepest history with you like, or what is, what is the saying? Like, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a weekend with your parents or something like that. <laughs> right. And, and I, I spent a decent amount of time with, with my parents, they live down in Florida now. So especially in the winter in New York, I, I like to get mm. down there here and there. And we, my family's very close. We've always have been, and, and, but we also have a deep history. And then what I've found is that I will definitely react and say things that I don't necessarily mean <laughs> looking back at it and, and get right. caught up in identification and, and triggers and whatnot. But something I've, I've found also is that we can, we're very quick to forgive and then kind of understand that there's this like base sort of layer of, of love. And we have had points I was younger where we'd let stuff kind of fester for a little bit. And, but it rarely went past like the night, like when everyone was going to bed, when I was growing up, like, and we were all living in the same house, it would be like, things were forgiven before you went to sleep because no one mm. liked sleeping with those sorts of feelings. So it, it's been funny. And now it's just like very quick within you know a couple hours of that. But um, on the friend side of it, it's also been interesting because some of my friends are intrigued in it and I've, I've had some, uh, I think, what, what did you, uh, your, uh, partner call them Ariel, uh, conscious, expansive experiences. Intentionally expansive experiences. Yeah. No. <laughs> I've had, a, I've had a few of those with, uh, with some of my close friends, mm -hmm. some who have never, you know, done any sort of psychedelics or anything like that. And, and that's been very interesting. And I've even had mm -hmm. 
uh, one of, one of my best friends, I've had conversations with him. This was like back in August. So like, I kind of started to realize and talk about this stuff more, uh, back in July of, of 2021. And, and I was, you know, explaining to him, like, you are not this name that you have identified with. And he, it, and we had been, it was a night out, like he, we were visiting some friends in Philadelphia and he was just, it was like, I don't know, midnight probably. And we were on our way to the bars and he was just like very gung-ho in his thing. And I was, you know, I had had a couple of beers and was ready to like, just talk about <laughs> it for hours. And so that, that was fun and didn't really get through to him. And then actually we took some mushrooms together and and back in this past winter and it was like an awesome time and we had a great conversation and he slowly but surely has sort of been able to recognize some of the things that Mm. I was talking about and be able to apply it to his life and we talk about that now and it's it's a much more open dialogue and a lot Mm. of things he's like you know I, I don't necessarily fully understand it but i think the beauty of this and and the conversation that we're having ariel you just mentioned how it's the importance of it is the applicability like as great as it is to go super deep and and be able to have these conversations with people that that really have grasped it it's equally as important if not more important for sort of like our collective understanding to allow it to be applicable and see those bridges and see those opportunities to relate to someone that may not have full clarity of what you mean when you say, I am you. It's like, there's levels (laughs) to it. And I think recognizing that has been very helpful for me and being able to keep that in mind. And any, anytime you think that, oh, you know, you don't get it and I'm not going to be on your level. It's like, you are perceiving duality there you're perceiving some separation if you are not able to recognize that there are levels to this conversation so that's that's helped as well but it's it's been interesting Mm -hmm. especially with close friends and and family but it's been fun too because I, i don't think you could ask probably anyone from my high school if they you know you were to say that andrew would like be on social media and have followers on stuff like i'd probably be one of the last person they would have thought because i was extremely quiet and extremely reserved in high school but it's fun now because i'll have people reach out to me and people maybe i wasn't super close to them in high school but now i'll get dms from them asking questions about the situation they're going through and and so it's fun to i don't know in a sort of full circle sort of way see that but it's just i don't know I, i love having the conversation. So I've gotten better about not necessarily pushing it or pushing my viewpoint and, and sort of seeking some uh, disagreement, but just allowing it to, to happen naturally more so. And, and if someone's open to it, then being willing to, cause I'm always super willing to, to talk about this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing about that experience with uh, with your friends and and yeah, it's so lovely to explore all of this on our own and and even in the context like virtually getting to connect with you too. It's like we could talk for hours about. This. I mean, we've been going for a while now. I'm like, we could just keep going. Let me just like refill my drink real quick and we'll just keep at it. Um, but it, like it's it's so different when the people that are that are in your life, you know, you get to get to go there with and. Um, in some ways, uh, like bring, bring all of this down to earth. Not that it's not on earth. I of course mean that as a metaphor in terms of like, okay, like, yeah, the practical element of it, like, okay, let's, what, what would this look like to live this way? And, 
um, to have the people that we, that we share, you know, immediate air with be in that conversation with themselves and with, with us as well, um, to further that sense of unity by being able to, to go there together. Um, so that's really beautiful. I'm glad that you're able to experience and explore that with your friends too. I, I feel that. And it's, it's fun to, I don't know. It took me a while to find within among my friends, like not everyone was like, they were like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then you find people who are like, ready, And you're like, okay, cool. Like we can go there. Um, but it's, it's kind of interesting to navigate, especially early on in that path. when you're like, but I'm so excited. Like, just look at it this way. Um, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I, love, and, I love hearing about your experience there. And it's good to have a, a certain degree of, uh, I guess, patience. So for me, because I came totally. just, straight out of hell and in, in this isolated <laughs> mentality, I went right off the deep end. As soon as I discovered freedom, it was like, sweet, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to start flying with this. And so I started introducing myself to people as God, just to start the conversation, just to, <laughs> just to get into it. It's like, hi, how you doing? I'm God. And, and Wait, would was, you really do that? Yes. Is that real? Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. I feel like I met people like you earlier in my life and I did not, when I didn't understand it and I was like, why is that person? <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. But okay, it ruffles sorry, a lot of feathers, right? It, yeah. it ruffles a lot of feathers. And as I started to realize that it was less about telling anybody anything and more about recognizing it myself, which is why I ultimately mm. left YouTube at one point, um, those conversations got easier. It wasn't necessarily, right. hi, I'm God, but uh, hi, I'm not anything you think I am. And we go from there. And so the conversation started to change. And I, I found that, again, my own peace changed how I brought that across to people. Mm. And I find yeah. that talking to Andrew since we started this podcast in September, I think the first time we talked was in August, his way of communicating has changed. Sorry, Andrew, that's just something I've noticed mm. over the time that we've been talking to one another. And it's because <laughs> he embodies more of a state of peace in everything mm. he does. And this is, there's more of a of fluidity to it in general. And so the reason I'm asking this, because I want to return back to our, our previous conversation about meditation shortly before we end this podcast episode, because yeah. you teach meditation. Now, meditation is something that I have taught before. I've helped people um, learn how to meditate, but I've always avoided certain styles of meditation because I often felt that it was attaching to another narrative. It was attaching to mm. another creation in the mind. So I'm very curious mm. as to what style of meditation you recommend or what style of meditation you practice for yourself. And is that something that you can do on the fly, say taking a city bus when you're frustrated or at work or something along those lines? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's a great question. I think overall too, I, I, I'm loving this common thread throughout this conversation of of sort of holding things with open hands really lightly, whether that's like conversations we want to have with our friends and like, not like jumping on them. Like you said, not just flying with the freedom and being like, let's just run into everyone with this um, or constructions of, of our own conceptions of ourselves or um, I mean, really everything. Right. And I feel like meditation is, is similar. There are a lot of types of meditation. Um, even for me, like part of my own um, deconstruction around Christianity, I was so ready to shed any semblance of ritual and any semblance of like dogmatic practices. Um, and the more I've come, as you just addressed, like the more I've come to my own peace with even that faith system and, and everything else and a lot of other things, right. Um, 
all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait, ritual is actually really beautiful when held lightly, you know, when not, when you're not putting everything on it um, and, and recognizing this is a symbol. I'm signaling to myself something by doing this. Um, yeah. So I think when it comes to meditation, whatever, whatever method or whatever approach you're taking, um, whatever type of practice you're doing, holding it lightly is so important to not get, to not get caught in that, at least in my own experience, for sure. Um, I practice a few different styles of meditation. Uh, I, I mostly studied within the lineage of Tibetan Buddhism. And so, um, a lot of the meditation is focused on, uh, really focusing, intentionally focusing the attention of the mind on an object. So that object could be your breath. That's obviously a very common one. Um, the attention could be on a visualization. Uh, the, the object of your attention could be on something more broad. So right now my favorite, um, application of that, my favorite, um, type of meditation, uh, is generally called open awareness within the Tibetan Buddhist lineage. So practically what that looks like, you know, is I'll close my eyes, do the whole thing. I'll sort of almost scan the space around me and observe, like imagine the space that's in front of me between, between where I'm sitting in the wall in front of me, between where I'm sitting in the wall next to me and like uh, observing as I go about that process, the sounds that are in that space. And then, and then, and I think that you too might both appreciate this, there's a sense of expansiveness of expanding sort of your conscious awareness to that space. All of a sudden, my thoughts aren't in, aren't in my head. They're not in my being. I can see my thoughts as taking place in this greater space around me. Um, and I find that practice to be so both liberating and very interesting. If I can all of a sudden expand my perception of my own consciousness to be I, I live in a massive studio. So like in this big studio space, it's a lot bigger than my brain. Like <laughs> on a very practical level, I'm like, this is a different size than we're normally in, you know, like of, of space and that kind of exploration I find to be really interesting. Um, and, and just allowing my thoughts to be recognized as another thing that's in that space, not something um, that I need to attach to or identify with too much. Um, so that's my current favorite type of meditation just because I really enjoy that expansive state. And it really has helped me further detach from like, I still get lost in thought. And then I'm like, oh yeah. And then I imagine that thought kind of in the space around me. And then it's like, oh, it's not as important as I thought it was. It's just like another floating object in a way. Um, so I think that helps, uh, with that gap that we were talking about extending between a stimulus and that knee jerk reaction by seeing that expansiveness of my awareness, I can kind of like let things float and then choose whether I'm engaging with them or not. And some days that's easier than others. Some days I just sit there and like, I'm just distracted the whole entire time. That's allowed to, that's like part of it. It's like, okay, what's my mind like today? That's it's really busy. <laughs> that's uh, what's going on in my mind. There's a quote from a book called The Hit, or, uh, Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. I've shared this before, but if you find yourself <laughs> being resistant, don't resist your resistance. Yeah, and, and then chew on that for a while. That'll that'll really expand you a little bit. Absolutely. That, that's yeah, a really totally. interesting practice in terms of meditation because that's just basically the same thing that I do, which is just paying attention. You're just paying attention and, and getting your, your mind out of the illusion. What I find interesting is that when you do that expansive meditation, there's almost this point where eventually it comes and you go, right, there is no room outside my awareness. 
everything's yep. me. And so it's, suddenly there's no internal, external and, and meditation becomes, well, kind of trippy um, in, in general. Absolutely. Because, you know, now yeah. you're, you're going down the paradoxical road. So that's great. I'm really glad that, that you shared that with us because I know a lot of people have been asking about meditation, different meditation practices. And I think that what you just identified there is that it's not necessarily about the practice so much as you know, the, the intention and, and the clarity that goes behind it. Um, you mentioned earlier that meditation is often kind of sold to us as having this benefit and this benefit and this benefit and this benefit. And I always feel like there should be a caveat there, almost like at the end of a, of a medication commercial, it's like, you know, <laughs> may not work if you're focused on these benefits because it changes the entire reason that you're meditating. Right. Right? So right. yeah, it's, it's an interesting catch 22. I'm just going to pass this over to Andrew here to see if he has any questions or last minute thoughts on meditation before we wrap up this episode. And I just wanted to say thank you quickly before we get towards the, the conclusion, because this has been such a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed yeah. this. Andrew. Yeah, likewise. And, and with, uh, on the meditation stuff and, and just the ritual and shedding of rituals and then seeing it as this sort of potential for, for beauty as well. Like I went through a very stark sort of in and out and back in of that this past fall. Cause growing up, I was very rigid and like very structured, very goal oriented, always had something that I was striving for, whether it was, you know, to play a sport in college or go to a certain college or, or get this grade or do this thing. Like, you know, so many people, it's kind of like how our entire childhood is, is structured. It's based on that. So yeah. I saw, you know, when I sort of recognized that I wasn't this idea, this concept, there wasn't as much striving to do necessarily because there wasn't this inherent feeling of lack that I needed to fill mm. through accomplishment. So I very much went from being super structured to like not structured at all. And I always had a very rigid morning routine. And so then I went to like, like no structure whatsoever, like mm. barely kept a to-do list like for work I would, cause I didn't want to get fired, but I, I would like, I would literally, I would go to sleep when I got tired, I would wake up when I woke up, like I wasn't setting alarms. I, and so I did that for I don't know, maybe two months. And then I realized, you know, I do have a lot of opportunities and it's not that I have to do anything in order to fill this void or, or feel right. more whole and complete because I knew inherently that I was whole and complete right now, every single moment. But it was like, I was able to come full circle and see that, oh, there is an actual use for this structure and for this routine to allow me to do the things that I enjoy and do the things that I want to do. So instead of coming at it from a place of, of need and from a place of, of inherent lack, it was coming at a place of like, right. oh, I am, I am whole now, but utilizing these structures and these routines will allow me to do more stuff. Cause I found a lot of times when I had no structure, I would sit here and just scroll on TikTok for like an hour. And I'm like, what is that really? Is that really what I want to be doing? Right. Or is that just what is like the easiest thing for my instant gratification right. in the moment? So being able to then sort of reincorporate structure. Now there, there's so much more awareness and sort of uh, uh, intent behind the structure as opposed to just doing it because I always had, and, and I had this sort of need to accomplish those things in order to feel better about myself. It was, is being able to utilize it with more in, intention. So I definitely mm. resonated with that. And then for, yeah. for meditation, for me, like, I don't, I, I did do a, a very 
rigid along with, you know, the morning routine for about three years, like meditating every single day, sitting down with my eyes closed. And I don't do that anymore, but it's not to say that I don't meditate. It's almost just like the, the line between those 10, 20 minutes I would set aside and the rest of yeah. my day just got kind of blurred. And so now mm-hmm. it's like there, I'm always catching when, when thoughts are arising and just being aware, remembering I'm not what I think I am, remembering that I don't know right. what's going to happen beyond this moment. So it's like, instead of taking that, you know, set aside time, I, I just do other things in that time. And I'm able to sort of do life as the meditation all the time. So yeah, yeah, that's been sort of my shift in uh, both the structure and shedding of that. And then on the meditation side, but yeah, yeah, so I resonate with that a lot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a really integrated practice, like really bringing it. I mean, again, the the practicality of all of it, it's like, we have these practices, but they're really just in a way re re shaping how we engage with all of our experiences in total. And, um, right back to part of your question that I didn't answer. Like, you're like, can I do this on a bus when I'm frustrated? Can I do this whenever it's like, yeah, you can like at any moment, you know, I, I like to say, like, if I'm home meditating, I usually do it in the morning before my partner's awake, but if he's awake, I'm like, feel free to like make noise, make coffee, do whatever. Like, I, you know, the, the more distractions, the more I have to work with. So if you're on a bus or if you're like at work or like whatever the thing is, it's like, it might be a little extra challenging, but like, it's also good, good, uh, good for some extra practice too. So integrating that, I love, I love that Andrew. I think it's when you can start to see like all of our, all of our experiences as, uh, as an opportunity to, to be present and to notice and uh, be aware of what's going on in the mind without latching onto it and letting it, um, dictate how we engage um that's that's it and it's funny because it not only does it inform our insights and our and our level of alignment but it informs our empathy going through these challenges right. going through these uncertainties they, they immediately make it easier for us to recognize ourselves and someone else i was having this conversation with my daughter recently because she's she's 14 and she's dealing mm-hmm. with other teenagers and stuff like that and and i, I reminded her you know, just like you're uncertain about who you are and your value and the world and what's right and, and, and living up to expectations. I'm like, mm. so are your friends. And so what yeah. you're dealing with from them is that fear, that reaction to that uncertainty and not everybody has been raised to embrace uncertainty to the same degree. And so you have to recognize yeah. that, but can you without feeling uncertainty yourself? And, and that's, mm. that's ultimately it. Right. So yeah, this has been a fantastic good. conversation. We're just going to keep talking. If I don't eventually end this, what I'm hoping <laughs> is that we can have you back on the show again uh, at some point, as well as your partner, because you do, yeah. you both do an excellent job on your podcast. I've only caught the one Aww. episode, but uh, anybody who's listening, definitely go and check that out um if you could just let everybody know how they can reach you uh do you have a youtube channel at the moment or is it just the podcast yeah good question i don't have a youtube right now just the podcast and and social and that sort of thing but um yeah first of all i just want to say thank you both so much for having me this has been such a lovely conversation and um you both have expanded my own perspectives uh in the last two hours that we've been here so thank you for the time i really feel like we could just keep it going for a while but I know we all have lives. So thank you for having me. Um, and, and thanks for, uh, all of the kindness and the expansion and, um, all that good stuff. I really value these conversations. So thank you for having it with me. Thank you for sharing it with the world. Thanks for being that ripple. Um, if there even is a ripple, that's, you know, another, another conversation though. Um, 
And now back to your question. Um, yeah, you can find me on uh, TikTok or Instagram at Ariel Here and Now. And then, yeah, my partner and I host a podcast called Do You Have Space? You can uh, check that out at doyouhave.space. Um, or if you're feeling old school, doyouhavespace.com will also work. Um, and we also host weekly meditations and conversations. So if anybody's interested, um, I love especially getting to talk to people who are a little bit um, earlier in their journey and they're just kind of discovering this and they're like wanting to be around other people and maybe don't have those people. We also have people who've been on this path for a long time. So it's a, it's a lovely, um, beautiful mixed group of people with different experiences. And we hang out every Sunday to meditate and to have a conversation about all this good stuff. So um, all of that information again, can be found at doyouhave.space. Thank you both again so much. I was honestly very excited to have you here. I know Andrew and I were talking about your content and particularly, again, your intention, the clarity that you come across with, but mostly mm -hmm. it's uh, it's the consciousness behind your content that, that mm -hmm. really caught our attention because a lot of people talk about this stuff, but it's lip service and you can tell, mm -hmm. you can tell it's lip service. Yeah. It's like, I read all of this in a book and I, now I'm telling <laughs> you, pay me for life coaching. Um, whereas <laughs> when I'm watching your content, I can feel the intensity. I can feel that it's mm. coming from you. It's your insight that you've worked for, that you're cultivating mm. and that you're applying to your life. And I, I find we talk about ripples. We've talked about it through this entire episode. I, I find that that authenticity, it can't be faked. You can tell when mm. somebody is actually seeing more and more of how they are one with everything as opposed to just following the belief mm. that they are one with everything and so from my perspective I just wanted to say thank you for joining us for this episode mm. I've been looking forward to it for like three weeks yeah thank you for reflecting that back Ray that is so lovely to to hear reflected back so thank you for seeing that and for saying and thank you for I could thank you for all the same and if I don't stop I'm going to keep thanking you over and over so I'm just gonna rein it in <laughs> Yeah, no, likewise, just to echo Ray, it's been, it exceeded any expectations I may have had coming into this mm -hmm. conversation. I, I've resonated with a lot of your videos for sure. And, and it's been very fun to have a more expanded conversation and to be able to touch yeah. on all of these things. So yeah, thank you again for joining us. And, and I hope that we can have another conversation very soon. I bless that. Excellent. And that is it for this week. So for everybody listening, definitely do uh, contact us on social media. If you have any questions for the upcoming Q&A episode that will be happening, I believe episode 13 or 14, and we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us. Bye everyone.